The culture of your home is the incubator of character. You are the only mother that your child has. You're the only father that your child has. You're the only person who can be you in their life. And you have a lot to offer. The point of parenting is that my kids grew up to know their God in such a way that their kids know their God. The thing we all have in common is that we are interested in our kids' future. I know the Parent Network exists to help moms and dads in whatever way you can, when you can, and how you can help moms and dads help their children have the future that God's promised them. Well, hello and welcome to the Parent Network Podcast, episode number 88. I'm Sass. And I am Corin. And we're here <laughs> with our friend Stuart Hall in a conversation number two of Conversations from Camp. So, Stuart, you may or may not know this, but last week at camp, we talked to your good friend and colleague, Ashley Bohinks. We did a Parent Network podcast. Have Affectionately we- known in our office as Ashley Bohinky. Oh, really? Yeah. Bohinky. Because of the way her last name is spelled. Yeah, we had somebody mispronounce her name, like, from stage when we were here. They felt really bad. I'm not sure she noticed it, (laughs) and I'm fairly certain she won't listen to this, so she'll never know. Um, But anyway, Stuart Hall is here, so Stuart, thanks for joining us, and, um, you know, I would say 99.9% of the people probably listening to this podcast who are around Port City know who you are, but you have to And they just turned it off. (laughs) No, 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 not true. So, Stuart, tell everybody who you are. Whatever you want to say about uh, who you are. Golly, that what a loaded question. <laughs> okay, not whatever. I know you well enough. Not I can't tell you to say whatever you want to say. <laughs> no, you, you said. Are, but till, I, uh, I am a pondering pilgrim <laughs> in this thing called life. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm a f- middle-aged white man married to a beautiful woman trying to raise children in a crazy world. <laughs> oh, so well said. So well said. Stuart works for Orange, and uh, he has this thing he does called Influencer, and he speaks across the country, and he's written some books. And yeah, what, is, what else you do? Come on. It is more. so boring, dude. Yeah. There's more. Th- thus the reason why everybody listening right now has tuned out. <laughs> Uh, well, as you know, on the Parent Network podcast, we like to equip and encourage parents to help your family walk with God. And we're going to have a conversation we don't really have much of, or I don't know that we've ever had a conversation about this on the Parent Network podcast, because oftentimes we're talking about younger kids and how to kind of parent younger kids. We really probably, if we're honest, if I'm honest, we focus more on sort of teenagers and the teenage years, because um, we have a lot of people who are in that phase, and quite honestly, Karn and I are in that phase. And so that's just <laughs> tends to be what we talk about. But we have a lot of people who are done with that phase. And they have young adult children, and they're like, what in the heck do I do with that? So Stu- that's Stuart and Kelly. They have young adult children. So we're going to get to that in a minute on how, how do you effectively parent your young adult children. But, um, Karn, I know you have a question that you want to ask because there's, there's a phase before that. And if you, you want to pause now, you can because this might be just for me and Karn. I don't think so. I think lots of people are going to appreciate uh, Stuart's thoughts on this question. So we have an 18-year-old who's going to be a freshman uh, in college this fall. And if I'm 100% honest, uh, there have been some times in the last couple of years that have been really rocky, particularly between he and I, um, because as he should be, he's growing older and wanting to become more independent and I think I just struggled on knowing where to draw those lines. Obviously, I want him to be independent, but I kind of 
I got stuck in this all or nothing where I felt like I either had to be on top of everything or I couldn't figure out the in-between. So I just wanted to throw up my hands and say, fine, figure it out. Deal with all the consequences on your own. I'm done because there's just this struggle all the time. And I, and I don't know, probably part of it's the struggle and I just didn't want to do that. But I was wondering, Stuart, if you had any advice or suggestions on that in-between time or at, while you're still their parent, well, you're always their parent, you're parenting them, but letting go, really allowing them to make more and more of their decisions and dealing with the consequences without totally throwing up your hands and saying, okay, you're an adult now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said this off air. I don't know if I have any <laughs> much advice at all. Um, I, th- I What I do think I would propose is something our three young adult children said to us. And maybe we'll talk about this in a second. But Kelly and I both have asked our children, and then many times, without being provoked, our children have given us unsolicited uh, commentary on our parenting when they were teenagers. Is that a good way to say it? Yes. And there is one statement that all three made or have made repeatedly that if there was, Oh gosh, I didn't know I was going to do this. If we could go back and do it over, all three of them have said, we wish you would have trusted what you invested in. us." That's good. Because they trusted it but we were actually second guessing what we had invested in them. And Kelly, Karin is just like you, as is every mom. You worry, um, you're moving from control to influence. It is the most scary, infuriating time of parenting. But I would just suggest to all of us that if, if we've invested the things that we believe to be true, at some point we have to trust what we've invested and not be afraid to let our kids figure it out and fail. Our, our children pay more attention to what we're investing in them than we think. <clears throat> There's no question that as adults, we, we see things they can't see. We, and you know, the problem with us sitting around this table is we've spent our life investing in teenagers. So we've seen the good, bad, the ugly, and the insanity of pardon the expression, teenagers gone wild, Mm -hmm. but that's not your reality. Um, some of this is contextual and relative, because maybe there is a parent listening that's going, I don't trust what I've invested. That's a completely different thing. But because I know you guys, I would say, trust what you've invested. And we've said this before together, like the weakest conviction your children have are the ones they haven't tested. And too many times we never give them an opportunity to test what we've invested because we're fearful, but it'll hold. And it doesn't mean they're going to do it perfectly, but somebody recently told me, um, now that you know you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. Wow. And I would much rather be a good parent than a perfect parent. So 
that's what I don't know if that helps. That I think that helps a lot. It's interesting when you said that because um, I don't know if my son would articulate it, but I think probably what he felt was that I didn't trust him. And so I know part of it's trusting what I've done, but it's also trusting him. And I'm sure maybe for a male it's even more so. Like, you know, can, do you trust me? So I think that's good. I think as moms we feel this weight of responsibility. Like I didn't want to feel like I was abdicating my role as a mom, but I, what I had to do was redefine my role as a mom. And yeah. that can and, be hard. And, and to encourage you even more, Grant, our son Grant and Kelly – especially his senior year in high school, oh, Lord, it was, it was hard. Mm-hmm. And every parent of a senior has felt this at some time. It is time for you to get out of my house. <laughs> <clears throat> and that's not us hating on them. It's just a part of development. Mm-hmm. But you know what's crazy is that dude wants to talk to his mom every week in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And he's 27 years old. It's just a natural part of it. Um, but it's, it stinks for us as parents because he's your heart. Not only is he your son and you're his mom, but he's also your first. Right. And gosh, you just, you don't know if you've messed it up. (laughs) (laughs) It's like he's still a test case. (laughs) It's right. That's exactly right. Well, it's so funny that you bring that word trust in because I have found myself saying to CJ at times, um, and even, even our daughter Kylie, I found myself saying, Hey, do, do you trust me? And, and, and feeling kind of on the other side, well, they, of course, want me to trust them. But, but that concept of, of not necessarily just trusting each other, but trusting what we've invested in each other, that's another way to look at it that I absolutely love, and I think it's really yeah. good. And again, it's relative. Uh, to all the listeners at home, we're talking about a kid specifically that walked up to me after my first talk and thanked me for using Greek and Hebrew. Okay, that is not normal. With him. That was like, it wasn't like I want to impress Stuart moment, and, but it's not. And, and from this point forward, he uh, will always pronounce it totes my goats. Okay, that's, that, we, we do not need to describe that. That's a camp joke. Sorry, we're here at camp. Inside. No, joke. it's a very okay. deep spiritual well, word. Well, then you need to describe it. Tov me ove. It means forcefully good, but it sounds like totes my goats. <laughs> And that's the conversation that our son had with Stuart. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys are worried this dude is appreciating Hebrew and Greek, and you are concerned about his spiritual well-being. I'm not. His mom is. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. So let's transition to talking about young adult kids. You already mentioned Grant, but tell everybody, kind of all three of your kids, yeah. sort of where they are. And, and, and really, the, the, the rest of our conversation is just, what are some things that you would share yeah. with parents about Parenting young adults. Right. Our, our son Grant is 27 years old, w- lives in Washington, D.C., works for the General Service Administration. Our uh, oldest daughter, Chandler, will be 25 next week, um, lives with us still at home, but she's kind of, we're kind of empty nesters because she's barely ever there. And we're going to, we're almost to the point where we're going to start charging rent. And are is she you the one she's like, she needs to leave? No, no. <laughs> I mean, w- well, yes. <laughs> She's not going to listen. Don't worry. Um, well, I say yes because she wants to leave as badly as we'd like for her to get out. Um, and that's another interesting part about this, too. And then our youngest, Cameron, is 22. Um, will graduate from the University of Florida uh, August the 5th and start her master's degree at Florida. She has two years of eligibility left for playing soccer. So, yeah, we have 27, 25, 22. I think that's right. 
they are young adults. Okay, so what would you say to any parents that are listening just about some ideas? I know it's not perfect, but some ideas around parenting young adult children. Because you and well, Kelly have been in that for, you know, yeah. 10 years now. Well, uh, to piggyback kind of, Carlin, uh, Karin, on what you said, part of what I think makes it difficult as it relates to parenting young adults is um, when they're teenagers, the jury's still out on how well you did. When they're young adults, the lab results start coming back. (laughs) So good. And you're either appalled, scared to death, encouraged, or all of the above. I think that's one thing that has been interesting. It's, it's very much like youth ministry because the, the difficulty of what we're doing here this week is that we will very rarely see immediate results. It will be 10, 15 years from now. And the same holds true with parenting. You don't really start. That may be part of the reason why we're as fearful when they're 18 because we have, we're not really sure. Well, you start getting the lab results back when they move out of your house and begin to develop a, a life of their own, make independent decisions. Um, and I would be less than honest if I didn't say we have struggled with that. Uh, the thing, uh, we, we just had dinner with some friends the other night, and they were really, really encouraging to us because they have grown up in a home where their parents weren't, forthcoming wanting to know how did we mess up maybe Kelly and I are gluttons for punishment but and again sometimes it's been unsolicited <laughs> you kids don't mind telling you huh yes but but we have had um if I'm being fair like me getting sick probably accelerated that a little bit because they ha- Kelly and our kids had to have really hard to conversations about if dad's not here. Um, but we, we want to know like what worked, what didn't work. Um, and that has caused us to really take a hard look at ourselves, especially as people who place immense value on the person example and teachings of Jesus in our life, in our home and in our kids. And they are living in a context in almost every regard that disregards those things or lessens their value or considers it rubbish. Like your, your belief system, uh, your value system, the mechanisms in which you exercise those things come into play with who they are choosing to be as people. And one of the things Kelly and I, I had a, we had, our son was just home for a couple of days. Um, Cameron didn't get to come home, but Chandler was there. So it was the four, the two oldest and Kelly and I, we had some incredible conversations. Um, and one of the things that Grant said that I found incredibly challenging sobering but it also was like I need to I need to own that and wrestle with it was he said dad what I hope you and mom want is for us this is me paraphrasing him what I hope you want 
is for us to embody the values and the life of Jesus more than you do the way you applied it in your own life. Mic drop moment right there. And it was, I mean, sitting in a restaurant in a booth, we, I was just quiet. And I'm like, man, there, that is incredibly profound. And it hurts my feelings because you're right. You know, um, uh, I think it's Proverbs 16 two. The message version says that I, I wrote it down that um, humans are satisfied with looking good, but God, God probes for what is good. And I think too many times Kelly and I have been satisfied with what looks good instead of going, okay, what is good? That's one thing I would say. Um, and I don't want to babble, babble too much. There is a big thing that we are learning. Um, and maybe, maybe we've talked about this on here. I think there's a gigantic difference in feeling like you're moving the finish line to feel better about what you did as a parent, because sometimes it feels in our culture and with a deconstruction conversation that if it can almost feel like as a parent, you're trying to move the finish line to make what you did or didn't do seem better talk more about moving the finish line what do you mean like by that? you know first of all if you never if you never declare this is the win then you're going to win every time and a lot of us as parents we've never declared this is this is who we want our children to be by the time they leave our home so first and foremost if you don't begin at the end you're 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 right every single time whether it's good or bad i think what kelly and i have realized is that we have felt at times as we are growing in our faith, as we are pulling some things out of what has been a part of our, for lack of a better term, religiosity, that really is, is, is a non-essential. And I think moms and dads, if you do not start that process now, you're going to be challenged by the next generation because they are committed to pulling away non-essentials. Is that fair? Absolutely right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something else you said there too, that's super important. is just, you talked about how you and Kelly, you're always growing yourself. And, um, I know that's, you know, I think Karn is phenomenal at kind of taking the time and the discipline every day to be able to kind of grow in your faith. And for, I think for all of us as parents, we, we've got to be doing that. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where, you know, I even, I work at the church. I feel convicted about mm -hmm. that sometimes because we're caught up in doing the work of the Lord and the, the, the work of the church that, um, I know for a lot of parents, it's just hard to, to grow in your own faith, but you're right. I mean, this generation is going to demand that yes. of those of us who are lead, leading them. Yes. Right? Yes. And so because they are demanding that of us, we've, we, and because we are, to Sass, to your point, because we're trying to reexamine what is, what, what is the irreducible minimum and of optimal importance which means there are some things that we have held higher than we should. But what it's also made us do is go, <laughs> are we trying to move the finish line or have we been playing a game on the wrong field? Because there's a difference between moving the finish line and then going, oh, crud, we've been running on the wrong track. You're not, you're not quitting or lowering the bar by going, 
we've been running on the wrong track. You're going, it's literally the equivalent of leaning a ladder against nothing. You realize, oh, we have made a grand error here. And I think what Kelly and I have realized is that for much, especially the early years, we were running on the wrong track. Um, And I, I, we, I know we've talked about this before. If the fruit of the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians five is what it is, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that is the evidence of the spirit of God in our children. Then why in the world do we not make that the finish line? That is so funny. So the way that's resonating with me right now is, is something I feel like I've been saying for a couple of years now is how, um, I feel like what I've had to do in life is to redefine what success looks like, which is, I think, what you're saying, and how so often in, you know, American Christianity, what we can say is success for us as a parent looks like, you know, our kids sort of get out of high school and college sort of unscathed for the most part, that they get the right job, that they marry the right person, that they get in the right neighborhood, and they make the right money, and the white picket fence, and kids, and sort of just perpetuate the what, what we live in. And sure, some of that's relatively important. I feel like what I've, I've thought through is, like for me, success is, is I want my kids to be healthy. Like that's what I want. I want for them to be that's healthy. So good, yeah. I want them to be healthy mentally, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. Mm-hmm. And if they can get to their young adult years and be healthy, I don't care where they work. I don't care what their profession is. I don't care about the kind of the stuff that you were talking about right. that, that we all as parents, I think, feel the pressure to care about mm-hmm. and how things look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, are they quote unquote successful? And I just feel like I've had to work hard to try to redefine success. Yeah. That is not easy because, it isn't. because there are moments then where your child may not live up to the old success that you had defined before of what you thought and, and even thought you dreamed for them, but it's okay. <laughs> It is. Because it's, it's, you got to go run on a different track. Right, right. right. Because you, maybe you were playing the game right. on the wrong track. That's right. And, and I love how we're mixing sports metaphors here. Can we like jump over something? Yeah. Or let throw me, a ball let here me, in a minute? Well, we probably need to get out of our jockness. <laughs> That's it's probably, probably not true. a healthy thing. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But the, the other part of that too is what it does, what it's revealed about Kelly and I is that there's a, propensity in all of us as parents to begin to think that we're the default setting for the human experience. And Kelly and I are not the default setting for our children. God has not given our kids our vision for their life and they do not have to be like us. And that question that Grant asked us is what rattled me because what I want more than anything else is for Grant Chandler and Cameron to be people who who have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and how that fleshes itself out, I'm, like you said, I'm okay. You want them to reflect the image of Christ. Yes. In the way that he's created them, not right. in the way that you have projected that on them. Right, right. And to not, uh, to not confuse the fertilizer with the fruit. I think too often... We, we think, we think quiet time, church attendance, worship attendance, hands in the air, uh, memorize scripture, all those things are the fertilizer, but that's not the fruit. I just, I hope moms and dads listening to this will just take heart. Think too often. 
our kids are probably a lot better than we think they are. And even breathe easy, like their context is relative. And even the context to their context is relative. You know, someone very wise has said that comparison is the thief of joy. And we are so guilty of looking. (laughs) It would be easy for me to look at CJ and go, my children suck like an airplane toilet because they don't care about Greek and Hebrew. But, but the other side of it is CJ is not the default setting for the child experience, nor are our kids. And for some reason, I'm, I wonder, I would love for y'all to speak to this. Why is it so easy for us to fall into that trap as it relates to faith communities? Because it's almost like we are cookie cutter central Instead of going, every stinking kid is so unique. I'm going to shut up. Y'all answer that question. Uh, that's that's a hard question, Stuart. Thanks for throwing that one at us. Yeah. Um, Thanks for joining us, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it is a true statement. Like, we definitely have this stereotype in our mind of what a Christian should look like sometimes, especially within our the context of our family because of, you know, uh, how we look. But, um this this is going to kind of take a left turn here, but um, God is starting to kind of talk to me about that, how, like, faith doesn't have to look exactly the same for everybody. Um, but my father recently passed, mm. and he ha- had been an agnostic pretty much his entire life. Um, and um, as he was, he'd been sick for a long time, and um, I... I as he was getting sicker, I was really convicted to kind of to talk to him about his faith. Now, he, we went to church growing up, even though he's an agnostic. So he'd heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just felt like I still needed to have some kind of conversation with him for, for my own peace of mind. Um, and so I, st- I did. I started one. God was totally faithful in, in giving an opportunity. Um, and then when he was really sick um, on his deathbed, I just kind of had the opportunity to kind of to to sing and pray over him and um and as I did like he squeezed my hand and he said amen and amen what I wanted from God was for my dad to have this moment Mm -hmm. and then say Karn I get it now Mm -hmm. I I I get it I'm with God you know I, I believe I trust whatever and I didn't get that and so I kinda had to and nobody really really knows but I, I feel like that guy was trying to affirm to me, I, I'm taking care of your dad. Ooh, that's so good. But, I, you know, for him and his generation, because his generation, even when they had faith, weren't as open. Right. And so I had to come to terms with just because my dad didn't say it in the words that I would say it doesn't mean something didn't happen. Right, exactly. And so, that's and I, so you good. Know, so we do see this in, in different generations. But I think you're right. Like this generation, their faith is going to look a lot different than ours and I think as Americans or the evangelical church we have to I I don't know we probably don't spend enough time with other cultures because I think we would see how totally different please say that again right because yeah when you look at the when you look at the 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 data on just how minuscule the Christian population is in America Mm -hmm. compared to the rest of the world Mm -hmm. And then you consider how the, I have a dear friend right now who is in Spain with two other good friends or a friend and 
an acquaintance, and they are walking the uh, uh, Capitan de Santiago. The, it's a, a walk to the supposed place where James the Apostle was buried. Wow. And we had dinner with this friend the other night, and he was telling us how at the end of that walk you get to this cathedral, and there are hundreds of people from all around the globe, every race, color, and creed, that are hugging each other because they've made this pilgrimage to a holy place and the joy. And we think that what it means to be Christian is to do it in our small little American box. Mm -hmm. So I so res, you said you may have, you, you win mic drop of the, of the (laughs) podcast because it's true. Yeah. I mean, we put, we put Christianity in a box and I think for, for a long time, we don't realize it because it's all we know. But at some point, we've got to kind of awaken to the fact that, I mean, God is infinite. And so the expression of his image and the expression of the way that you live out your faith is also going to look a myriad of ways. Yes. And I, I don't know. I can't wait for heaven. I, I just think our eyes are going to be so yes. open. And, th- and that's when we'll really see the glory of God. Right. We just see in part now, and it's, it's going to be amazing. But I think you're, if we step out into different cultures, we can start to see more glimpses no of question. that today. And, and if we step back, we have been a part of a generation. I think this is fair. There are a lot of moms and dads listening to this. You grew up in church, and you faced more peer pressure to share your faith than to take drugs. <laughs> True. Because we grow up in this bubble, and it, and it kind of speaks to what we're talking about. There's this cookie-cutter idea of what it means to to follow Jesus and this generation is not like that. So it, it doesn't mean Jesus has changed. It doesn't mean truth isn't still truth, but we are all different people and unique and the way that is expresses itself, I think will be different. Okay. Stuart, as we wrap up, um, what's one more thing you'd love to share with parents, you know, kind of parenting, um, young adults. I'm a giant Adam Grant fan. If you don't read Adam Grant, I would highly recommend it. He's a, Wharton professor of business um, at Penn, and he wrote a book called Think Again. I may have talked about the idea of intellectual humility. Intellectual humility, he says, is knowing that you don't know. Um, when When our older children begin to either unsolicited or by our questions share with us why we did some of the things that we did, I think it's okay for us to explain what we did, but it's not okay for us to use them as an excuse. And the what Kelly and I are learning is that the appropriate answer in everything is I am so sorry. Mm. I am so sorry. There's not a parent on the planet that is intentionally trying to screw up their kids. And we will make a ton of mistakes because we care. Very few, if any of us, make mistakes out of negligence. We make mistakes because we care. It isn't an excuse, but there's always an explanation, and it's good. Our children are, have been curious, curious as to what, why, but it doesn't excuse what we did, mm-hmm. um, especially if it was a, a mistake. Mm-hmm. And then being humble enough to go, I, I didn't know, and I'm so sorry. Mm. Uh, it, I think that goes a long way to continuing that dialogue because ultimately you want to learn um, and we want to be there for them if, when they become parents because 
Kelly and I have constantly reminded ourselves this. This will all change if they ever become parents. <laughs> they will have a different perspective. Right. In a lot of different ways. And they'll realize that it isn't as easy as they think it is yeah. where where they sit now. Yeah. I, I, a couple things really resonate with me with what you said there is, is number one. And th- this I, I've had to continue to train myself with, especially with my daughter over the last couple of years, um, is uh, – it's it, it's in the realm of the being able to say I'm sorry, but it's just kind of having the empathy for where they are, what they're going through, what what their generation has inherited from us, and just being able to acknowledge that I, as a parent, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. We're mm-hmm. making it up as we go, and we're trying to do our best. But but to be able to kind of lead with empathy and lead with the humility mm-hmm. of saying I'm sorry, I think that that resonates really really big with me because you know. In the kind of, I guess the the American Christian culture, that's not what you do. Right. You just sort of you teach your kids to suck it up, and and I'm I'm the authority figure, and just do it. Which right. there are appropriate times to do that. Sure. I get that, but to to just sort of lean on the other side a little more than I naturally would has kind of been a growing edge for me over the last couple of years. And then the other thing, I think that that does, and and you said it in a different way, is it maintains the relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I think. But like if I project out, if, if I don't, you know, if I find out some things from my kids and I, maybe you and Kelly have been in this situation, if I find out some things from them and I don't say I'm sorry and I don't acknowledge that it was a mistake, there's going to be a wall in that relationship going forward. Right. Or if I defend it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I was right in doing that. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And so for me, what I find myself constantly saying to myself and to others is the goal is to maintain the relationship. Mm-hmm. 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 The goal is not to have to be right. Right. And I have to drop the the, the need to be right, even in my parenting, mm-hmm. in order to maintain the relationship so I can continue to have that influence now because I don't have the control anymore. Right, right. I need to maintain the influence. Right. And the, really the only way to do that is through the relationship. And that applies even more to the mom and dad listening who the, the train has left the station and maybe you weren't as... Uh, specific and um, strategic in decision-making prior to now and you're wanting to be and you're realizing, as you just stated, you no longer have control. Now you have influence and you're either bearing the, you're either experiencing the consequences or the benefits of what you've invested. The only way to regain ground is to say, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. The only way to regain, regain influence is to admit when you're wrong because it's, to do the opposite just makes it worse. Yeah, and, and I would imagine that what you have to spend time doing is saying those things and and building the relationship. Because if you just spend time trying to you know relitigate what happened ten years ago or trying to speak into you know who they are today or their parenting today or whatever, it's just going to be met with who who are you? We, we don't. Right. I mean, I know you're my parents, but we don't really have a relationship where you have the right to speak that into me. Right. Couldn't agree more. That's yeah. so true. So, anyway. Can I say one more thing? You may. And I don't know if anybody listening to this needs to hear this, but good or good, bad or indifferent, I have had the privilege and responsibility for 20 something years of doing things like this event where we're sitting. And if you are a parent in the Wilmington, North Carolina area, what you need to hear from a distant observer is the men and women who are leading this initiative to influence your children 
toward what is good, right, honorable, trustworthy, the person of Jesus, what it means to follow him, is unlike any other organization. I don't know why you wouldn't trust them. And to not trust them, to me, seems to be, a, a again, our children gravitate to who they gravitate toward. We can't make them, a, I mean, the reality is we, we can't make them do anything. But I, if you have friends who have teenagers and they are not involved in a faith community, I could not recommend Port City and what you guys are doing here more highly. It is, it is second to none. It is a machine in the best sense of the word. I'm not talking about the evangelical <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But it is, it is, it is, uh, it does Kelly and I good to see. Uh, one of the interesting things about this week, too, is what we're talking about, what it means to be a part of a family. And standing up on stage and realizing that there are people our age who did not grow up talking about uh, transparent, vulnerable things and sitting in circles with teenagers who can't wait to share. They love it. They love it. And it's different, but they are like the men and women who are giving their you know blood, sweat, and tears to invest in this generation are special. And that has a ton to do with you and your team. So that's my standing ovation and my plea to any mom and dad in the greater Wilmington, North Carolina area. If you have a teenager and they're not involved in some sort of faith community, please consider Port City Community Church. Thank you, Stuart. We really, really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to the Parent Network Podcast. Hopefully, uh, as always, it was helpful for you. If you have any questions, you can email us at parents at portcitychurch.org. Follow us on all of the uh, social media platforms. You know, we got a Facebook page where we try to put some things up there, Twitter, Instagram, at PC3Parents. We're thankful for you, and we'll talk to you again next time on the Parent Network Podcast. Deuces!